Welcome to Unconditional Love Fellowship with Bishop Malcolm Smith. This is episode number 42, recorded March 12, 2013, The Joy of the Lord. For more information and more teachings by Malcolm Smith and Unconditional Love Fellowship, please visit www.malcolmsmith.org or check out the new ministry website at unconditionallovefellowship.com. And now, Bishop Malcolm Smith. The Lord be with you. And I want to share with you tonight um, one of the most, actually one of the most amazing verses in the Old Testament. That um, may be a surprise when we read it, but I I think as we look at it, um, it may surprise you too. It's from Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah. And in chapter 8 and in verse 9, and it says, um, well, let me give you the background. Um, there is Ezra, because he's the author of the book of Ezra, and Nehemiah, they are together here. And the people are called together for a, well, it would be a, I think today we'd call it a teach-in, um, because they read from the scripture, which for them was the first five books of the Bible, called the Torah, and it was read loudly and clearly so that all could hear, and um, that was essentially because there were not scriptures as we know them, but great scrolls that were in the temple. Many people couldn't read, and so it was read to them, and then at certain points it would be explained very much what we do here. Uh, We read the scripture and I seek by the Holy Spirit to explain it to you so you may understand it. And these are the words that are used here. And so um, in verse 8 of Nehemiah chapter 8, they read from the book, from the law of God, translating to give the sense so that they may understand the reading. Then Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people were weeping when they heard the words of the law. Then he, Nehemiah, said to them, Go, eat to the fat, drink of the sweet, and send portions to him who has nothing prepared, for this day is holy to our Lord. Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still. For the day is holy, do not be grieved. So all the people went away to eat, to drink, to send portions, and to celebrate a great festival, because they understood the words which had been made known to them. It's it's one of those passages that you're probably only going to read once or twice in your lifetime, uh, unless you read through the Bible all the time. Um, it's it's not uh, a highlighted passage except for that one little phrase, the joy of the Lord is your strength. 
And, and it's amazing because that is not the sentence, though that's what's hanging in many kitchens and blazoned on the sides of churches. But it says, the whole sentence is, do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. It's, um, that, that's what I want to look at. And I say it is an amazing scripture, more amazing than you may think. And so they are gathered. Here's the people, lots of them. And they're gathered in a wide open space within the city of Jerusalem. And the scriptures are being read and explained so that they might understand them. They're hearing the word of God for this moment. And as they hear it, that is, as those first books of the Bible are being read to them and explained and applied to the present moment, they see how they have lived totally ignorant of this word of God. And not only so, they see how they've ignored God's purpose and God's ways of faith. And the more they see it, they are riveted in their wrong. They see that they have gone the wrong way. They've turned to their own way and they begin to weep. This is devastating. They are in a state of despair. And even the word used there was mourn and weep. And when the Easterner mourned, it was a very, very visible effect of grief and sadness. There is a wailing until you've heard an Easterner at a funeral mourning. Um, I cannot explain it. It's a wail that comes out of their very belly. It's a visibilized emotion, a lament. And, and and the people are weeping. They're saying, dear God, what we have done, what we haven't done. We, we have departed from his ways. They are faced just by the reading of the scripture and by an understanding of it. They're faced with the reality of their hitherto disobedience to the covenant that God has made with them. And they have an honest heart regret that was leading to utter despair. And, and this, this is true. Uh, it's a true sorrow. In fact, looking elsewhere in the scripture, you might call it a godly sorrow. Sorrow. Let, let me say this. I'm not going to stay here, but just let me say it quickly that the grace of God, which we teach... The grace of God takes sin very seriously. And we have been accused of not taking sin seriously. We take sin so seriously, for we recognize the only way that sin in all its dimensions could ever be dealt with is by the shedding of the blood of Jesus. Oh, we, we are talking about living death. Sin, disobedience, departure from the covenant. Yes, these people saw where they were and they felt as if they stood on the edge of a great black abyss. What have we done to depart from God? But then, and it doesn't take long, I mean, 
We're not talking here about days. This was merely hours. There was the reading, and then somewhere in the reading, they became aware of their sin and departure from the ways of God, and they begin to weep. And then it comes to this point of utter despair. So um, it wasn't long before they have become totally focused upon sin. They are, what shall I say, they're obsessed with their guilt, that they are wallowing in their shame, and they are speaking as they wail of themselves as unworthy and no good and sinners. And with that comes fear and anxiety. I call it religious anxiety. There's plenty of it around it sends many people to the psychiatrist. Uh, um, this religious anxiety, um, this this sense of total worthlessness. It's with the head down, the shoulders bowed, and beating on oneself. I'm guilty. I'm guilty. And then follows the terror that what shall happen to me because of sin. Now, very quickly, that kind of obsession with guilt and shame very quickly becomes a tool of Satan. And I I specifically say Satan because the word Satan means the accuser, the condemner. And what what is true that we have gone like sheep, we've turned everyone to his own way. Yes, that's true. But to obsess upon that becomes, I say, a tool of the one whose entire being is to accuse you and condemn you and tell you that you're unworthy and no good and rejectable. And so these people, are they're on the edge of moving from what I would call a godly sorrow into becoming just the punching bag of the accuser. And that has something to say to the world in which you and I live, especially the religious world in which we live. Because to the legalist, the person who has not really seen the enormity and the shockingness of the love of God and the extent of God's grace, that legalist, that person that does return to this same law that these people were reading, it becomes their only message. I have in the last 60 plus years been traveling through the church of the the entire world in, in its many countries and wherever the western church, the, the British church or the Um, Northern American church, wherever that has put its fingers, there you find this possibility of of obsessing with with sin. And and there are some places I have gone to preach, and when I finish, the pastor is, is nearly beside him or herself because I haven't brought the people to tears. And I haven't called them forward under threat of damnation. In fact, my message has caused such great joy. And they are very concerned about that. 
enough to get up after me and sort of bring the people back to sadness, bring them back to this. Because the legalist doesn't know what to do beyond saying that the law shows that we are sinners. Doesn't know what to do with that. And so the law and this weeping and concern and self-condemnation over sin and opening myself to the accuser, Satan, that becomes the terminus. I mean, that's it. That, that's, that's, huh, that's what Christians are in, in many people's eyes. Now, this is where it gets shocking because this is the Old Testament. Remember that. They have not seen yet the fullness of the good news that they have a, the beginnings, the embryo of. They've got it, but they haven't seen its fullness when it comes to full bloom in Jesus. And yet, with just what they had, Nehemiah interrupts the proceedings. Stop! I mean, he, he, is, he says, no, he says, stop this. This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. Wow. He is saying that you are to stop this weeping and mourning over sin. It's gone enough, enough. You don't do this anymore. And why so? And this is the most shocking part to many persons. He said, the reason that we do not go any further with this weeping and mourning and grieving is because this day is holy to the Lord. That is, this day that we've set apart to come here and meditate on the scripture together, he said, it is a day that is to reflect the holy God. But just a minute. And I mean this, hear me. For many, the persons I've just spoken of in particular, but lots of people who don't go even there, um, the word holy, holy, um, I, I didn't think it would stop me from grieving and mourning. Did you hear what Nehemiah said? He said, stop the weeping and mourning over your sin because the day is holy and therefore reflects the Holy One. Rather, you are to joy. You are to joy because it is a holy day. You see, many, many dear believers, I mean, I count them my brothers and sisters, but they believe that mourning and weeping general overall sadness and awful solemnity is the appropriate, maybe the only response to holy. If I'm going to be holy, in most people's minds, means I stop laughing, for sure. It means probably you'd never wear a shirt like this. It's too happy, you see. Um, some of my dear friends from the past in certain parts of uh, here in the States, um, they, they even paint the bumpers on their cars black because they shine too much otherwise 
and would not be appropriate for holy people. Persons say, take off your rings, take off your ties, take off anything that celebrates anything because this is holy. Now, for some of you, you must think I've been around some crazy people. Well, thank God you don't know what I'm talking about. But some of you know what I'm talking about. Why so? Well, you see, the word holy, it's an old English word, and it means very simply to separate. Holy, the word holy means to separate. And so taking that word without the full revelation of who God is, some believe that it means that if God is holy, then he is separate from in fact, separate to the point of being remote from all sin. He's separate from it. He's holy. He hates it. He is repulsed by it. He cannot be in its presence. And he is now preparing to punish all expressions of sin. That's holy. He's separate. And what I just said is a direct quote from some of the leading evangelists here in the States. Oh, oh yeah. Um, so how do I respond to that? Well, I respond very much the same way as these people did. It is with self-condemnation. It is to say I'm unworthy. It is associated with fear, says First John 4. And that fear, says that same passage in John, is associated with torment and terror. No wonder people want nothing to do with holy. No, no, no. Holy means the end of everything I call life. It's as if... We, when we hold that view of holy, it's as if that we feel as we're trying to perceive as God feels and we'll agree with him in order to convince him of we are sorry, you know. Well, I'm saying, I believe the whole scripture says, and Nehemiah says it plainly here, no, no. But the word holy does mean separate. Yes. But what I've just described, what many people believe, is separate from. And that has its place. But the whole point of holy is separate to. Look, I've got a couple of pens here on the desk. I take this one and it's separate from all the other pens. But the most important thing is, it's now separate to me and becomes mine. And the whole point is, I don't go around thinking of all the pens it no longer is with. I think it's mine. That's the point. It's not the emphasis on separate from. It is separate to. God, yes, he's separate. He's separate to himself. That is when I come to this glorious God, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. He is separate, other, different to anything I can comprehend with my human mind and specifically other than any love 
I've ever seen among creature humans. He is love, as I have never imagined love to be. He is separate to himself. There's none like him. There's none to compare him to. He is the unique, and that word is so weak and insufficient, but I'll have to use it. It means the one and only love. He is original source of goodness and extreme kindness and compassion. And so, of course, he is separate from the whole of the darkness and lies and untruth and life being defined as self for myself. Yes, he is separate from that, but obviously, but he is love. And yes, love wills that we stop that and come back to life. But love, holy love, is of such a nature that he must, by his own being, come and join us where we are and sit with us in our darkness. That's, that's holy, not to be repulsed, not to push us away, but to come and sit with us so that Jesus said, I am come. He is God the Son. And he said of himself, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And he said, I am come, which means the Father has sent me, the Father in me, to seek and to save the lost. I've come for people who have lost their way in the darkness because the Holy Three Father, Son, and Spirit, count you precious. You have such a worth that I come to die to bring you back. You see what I'm saying? For God so loved the world. The world? Come on. The world is described in Scripture as the enemy of God, as hostile toward God. The world, rebel. But doesn't Romans 5 say that while we were yet sinners, while we were enemies, while we were hostile to God, he died for us and shed his blood. Now, yes, this is shocking. No wonder the Pharisees backed off in religious horror. God loves the ugly. God loves the wrong. God loves the immoral. That's see, human love. Human love. When I say I love as a human, it, it means because I have found the beautiful. It means I have found the good, the right, the, the precious, the one that relates to me, has a resonance within me, that pleases me. Now do you see the amazing love that God is? That he loves the ugly, the immoral, the not good, the not kind. Wow, that's holy. 
that's holy, that he is, I said, such a love that we've never seen on earth, a love that brings him to sit with us in order to save us. Jesus looked at Jerusalem. These are his crucifiers, the Jerusalem people. And as he comes over the hill to overlook Jerusalem, it says that he wept. That's what it says in our Bibles. But if you get a, an amplified which shows you the, the deeper meaning of the word, it says he wept with great convulsive sobs over Jerusalem, the crucifiers. And he said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, listen, how often would I have gathered you as a hen gathers her chicks, but you would not. The hen, the mother hen that gathers her little chicks under the protection of her wings. He said, that's what I've been desiring to do, but you would not. But God loves people like that that's the point or the woman taken in the act of adultery and jesus said neither do i condemn you for god so loved the world sent his only begotten son whosoever believes on him should not perish but have eternal life for god sent not his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. And that's the holy God in action. Oh no, said Nehemiah, this is our holy day. It's our holy day. It's a day to celebrate such a God as is separated to himself with the unique and unexplainable love who has come to us in our sin for the sole purpose of forgiving us and saving us and snapping its chains and delivering us. So you see, he's saying you, you can't weep and mourn over sin, despair, mourning, weeping, as an end in itself just to say that I'm a sinner and I'm sorry. No, that does not reflect who God is. Rather, today, he said, a day of celebrating the Holy One, we declare joy in that he is such a God as to forgive us, to release us from our sins. To say that as far as the east is from the west, so far have I removed your sins. Your sins, he said, in Jeremiah, they shall be remembered no more, gone, wiped out, erased, remembered no more. Now that, that kind of joy reflects who God is. So said Nehemiah, as governor of this city, I forbid this kind of weeping and mourning. It's enough, enough. And let us now celebrate, manifest, give glory to the holy God who is the one who loves and forgives and releases us. So it's time, holy. The word holy means time to rejoice. 
please, I, there, there are times when in all of our gatherings we sing songs that mention the word holy. Wonderful songs. I love them. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. But if you noticed how so many people act at that point, their heads go down, that the song becomes sort of quieter. Holy, holy, holy. What, what are we doing? Holy is a word of rejoicing. Holy is the blazing out of the threefold sun that God is. Joy, said Nehemiah. It's a time for joy. Well, we talked last week a lot about joy. I can't add much to it. But joy, let me just say this. Joy is, it's a welling up within. Um, I tell you, uh, in, in recent weeks, months, we, we've heard a lot about the, the tides and the surging. If you've heard weather forecasts on the East Coast, they've talked about the surge of, of the sea. When the, when the waves get three or four feet higher than normal, it's a surge. Well, that's, that's joy. It's an inner surge. When, when, when the tide of my spirit rises within me, and it's a surge of well-being. You know what I mean? Well-being. All is right. Or it's good. Well-being. It is well with my soul. It's a surging of inner delight. I tell you, it's a surging, a rising of relief. You know, when something hung over you and you realized it is no more, oh, the relief, and it's a relief that's mingled with delight and it's, it's done. Oh, what a relief. It's a rest and yet it's an excited rest. It's a rising rest within me. And it breaks out into the very muscles of my body. Then, of course, along with joy, and it's in this passage too, it is rejoice. Now, rejoice is not inner. Rejoice, of course, begins with joy. That's why it's re-joy. It's joy again and again and again. So it begins with joy, but rejoice is the outer expression. It's the natural goal and end of that inner joy. But rejoice is the sound of inner joy. And as we said last week, it has many expressions, vocal, physical. Um, Put it this way, though, what I'm trying to say is joy, this divine joy was never meant to be bottled up. Divine joy, it demands to be uncorked and to come out in many expressions of, of the joy, of the relief, of the rest. Do you know, just as an aside, but in the Hebrew language of the Old Testament, please hear this, it's very important. 
There are 27 different words that are used to describe this joy I'm talking about. I mean, did you? 27 different words are used in the Old Testament to try and give the fullest picture of this joy that we're talking about. And so said Nehemiah, you are to joy and have a great outward expression of that by go and eat of the fat. That is, go and have the sort of meal that you'd never have normally. This is off your diet. I mean, dear Lord, go eat of the fat. Drink of the sweet. This never would go down in New York City, would it? Um, so, so have a great feast and festival. And then he said, send portions to him who has nothing prepared. So let this day be a day in which you reflect the way the holy God is by giving a feast to someone who doesn't have anything to prepare. And why? For, because, this day is holy to the Lord our God. Oh, get it again. He said, celebrate joy and do it with a feast of rejoicing. Celebrate. Do not be grieved. Again, he he says, don't do this. For, because it's the joy of the Lord that is your strength. Joy, joy of the Lord, joy of the Lord. Now, this is really stretching it for some dear brothers and sisters of mine. God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is characterized by joy. God himself is characterized by rejoicing. Have you ever thought of God laughing? Psalm 2 says he does. Yeah. And, and, and whence this joy? Where does it come from? Why? The joy of God. And I wish I had five hours to explain this, but enough to say the Father is delighting in the Son. The Father loves the Son, and the Son receives and responds to the love. This is the very heart of existence. This is who God is. The love between Father and Son, and that love that is dynamic between them is the Holy Spirit. And that love is the joy of God. The Father joys in the Son as the Son in the Father and the Holy Spirit is. And I have to say the wild. There's a certain element of ecstasy with the Holy Spirit in celebrating the Father and the Son. Wow, that's our God. That's the center of existence. That is life. And when the Son became flesh, and lived among us, the Father opened the heavens and said, This is my beloved Son, in whom my soul delights. You see, uh, that's the joy. And it is the Father's purpose in the Son to be made 
actual in us by the Spirit to bring us through the Son into that love, into that joy. And from unbeginning, the Father has delighted in the Son, in the purpose to bring you and I right into the middle of that love and joy. It's the joy of the Lord. And it's the joy of the Lord that's put into you. That's the gospel. And when the Son became flesh and lived among us on the night of his birth, how did the angels announce that except they brought a good news of a great joy? Yeah, joy had become flesh and lived among us. And so all the wretched, miserable happiness that exists in the darkness, the foul substitute, is now overshadowed by the good news of a great joy that was now a babe in the manger, joined one with the human race forever. And as we said last week, when he described his mission, he said, it all ended in rejoice with me. I found my sheep. Rejoice with me. Celebrate. Kill the fatted calf. Let us eat. Be merry. Sounds very much like Nehemiah, doesn't it? And just before he goes to his sufferings and death, he said, my joy I give to you. That is the joy that is in the Holy Spirit between the Father and the Son. And the Holy Spirit now comes to you and I. This is the gospel. Holy Spirit now comes to you and I to actualize in us all that Jesus has done, all that Jesus is. And primary to that is joy. That's the signature of the believer. That's what marks him off from this world. For the fruit of the Spirit in you is love, joy, and peace, and so on. Uh, in First Thessalonians 1 Thessalonians 1.6, Paul says, speaking of how the Thessalonians had received the gospel, it says, you welcomed the message, the gospel, with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives this. It's, supernatural. it's the joy of the Lord in you. Or Romans 15.13 says, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that word abound, you could translate it well, translate it as bubble over. I mean, bubble over the side. Oh, oh, it fills the saucer with the coffee. Romans 14 says, the kingdom of God is righteousness peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Oh yeah. The joy of the Lord. Do, do you know, have you ever really thought about this? That God laughs with delight over you? Have you ever thought about that? That, that God's joy that Jesus has achieved the end. That the 
purpose of the Father and the Son is achieved. It's done. And he brings you home and calls you child, puts you at his kitchen table, and you are included into this love and joy and peace. There's a passage in the Old Testament, in one of those little tiny prophets, the one called Zephaniah, chapter 3. Let me read verse 14 and 17. Listen to it. Shout for joy, O daughter of Zion. That's you and I. I, Just take my word for that. Shout in triumph. Rejoice and exult with all your heart. Do not be afraid. Do not let your hands fall limp. That's when you're in utter despair. You just, your hands fall limp. Why? He says, verse 17, the Lord your God is in your midst. He's a victorious warrior. He's achieved his end. He will exult over you with joy. He will be quiet in his love. And the image there is of a mother with the baby in her arms and she's singing a lullaby to the baby as she just looks in silent love. That's you it's talking about. It says, he will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. Did you not? Well, I'm telling you, I I said a moment ago, there are 27 words for joy in the Old Testament. Eight of those words are in that passage I just read. Eight different words to express different facets of God's joy that he has over you. Listen to the amplified translation of that. It says, um, sing, O daughter of Zion, shout, Rejoice, be in high spirits, glory with all your heart. Fear not, let not your hands sink down or be slow or listless. For the Lord your God is in the midst of you, a mighty one, a savior who saves. He will rejoice over you with joy. He will rest in silent satisfaction. And in his love, he will be silent and make no mention of past sins or even recall them. He will exalt over you with singing. That's the joy of the Lord. He delights over the fact that you have been delivered from Satan's clutches. He exalts over the fact that your sins are remembered no more. He delights in you, his child, all because his purpose is fulfilled in Jesus and the Holy Spirit is now actualizing that, implementing that in your life. That, that's the joy of the Lord. Joy of the Lord. Oh, look, I am very aware of my weaknesses. I'm very aware of my failures. Very aware. But if I could put it like this, I am more aware of the word that God has said concerning himself and therefore concerning me. That he sees me, he sees me as I am. 
He sees me better than I see myself. But the truth is, he sees me as I really am in Christ Jesus. And he exalts over me. Can you take it in? God puts his arm around us. He laughs for joy. He sings his lullaby of love over us. He delights in us. The joy of the Lord. Yeah. The joy of the Lord become my joy. Become my joy. You see, um, what do I mean? Becomes my joy. Because faith, and this comes to the very heart of faith, right to the heart of faith. Because if, if you can understand where these people were, they're in the midst of their weeping and wailing. And from there they are told, stop and joy. That's pretty quick, isn't it? Pretty quick. Surely there should be a a, a suitable amount of time while we gradually sort of work our way out of this and beat ourselves up a little bit more. No, Nehemiah said, stop it and begin to think God's thoughts about himself and about you. Begin to see yourself as God sees you. That's faith that says God is the God revealed in Jesus and what he says about me in Christ is the final reality, the final truth. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Now, I know I'm going to uh, divert from some things that we thought the word strength meant, but I have to. It's so plain... The word strength here is is the strength of a refuge. Very specific word. It's it's the strength of a refuge or what today we would call a fort. They would say a strong tower or a rock where your enemies couldn't reach you. A place of refuge when you needed it. But, and this is the interesting thing, it's a it's the a strength that is given when you need it very quickly and so many times throughout the old testament this word and its idea is translated with quick words so go in haste or flee it's Something is coming at you that is hostile and is ready to destroy you and you run to strength, a place of shelter, a place of refuge. So in Exodus, it talks about a time when the plague of hail and they had to get the Israelites were told it's coming. Get your cattle in quickly, quickly into the barn. And they use this word. The barn was the place of refuge, strength, but it was quickly. When there were approaching armies, armies of Babylon or Syria, this word was used to say, flee before them quickly. Go to a place of refuge. Now he says, the joy of the Lord is your quick place of refuge. The joy of the Lord will quickly change everything. Quickly. So here you are. 
You're being overwhelmed with guilt. You feel condemned. You feel you're no good. You say, God, I'm not worthy. You say, I don't know how you could love me. And the accuser says, go for it, boy. Go for it. Yes, how on earth could he love you? How could anybody love you? Quickly, quickly. No time for talking. No time for discussion. Come on, quickly. Find your refuge. Where? In the joy of the Lord. And recognize, I don't know, my feelings about myself. No, they're all mixed up. They're they're not to be trusted at all. And the words of the accuser, which have become all mixed up in my mind, and the words of legalists, and the no, 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 I choose to trust the word that reveals that God is the God who is love and joys over me with singing and receives me into his celebration. And as you rest there, you are suddenly, you found your refuge, your And it isn't that you're inside something, so you're the same, but you're just in... No, you have become one with this refuge. You've become one with the joy that exists between the Father and the Son and the Spirit. So that the joy of the Lord is your strength. Your strength. Your strength. Not not that you've now sort of sheltering and you're the same miserable person you were before, but you're now under, no, no, no. You have joined with the strength. This joy that God has in himself that is now through Jesus by the Spirit shared with you, you have become the strength of God. And I say again from where they were, from where these people were, this is a bold daring step. There's no timidity here. And there's no other way. You you move from condemnation into the joy of God and everything you've ever heard from religious legalism is screaming at you, this is illegal. You can't do this. You're being frivolous. This is blasphemy. Is it? I mean, we don't earn acceptance with God by prolonged weeping over sin and self-accusation. Acceptance with God is not for sale. We know and experience God's acceptance by knowing through the gospel that we are accepted. It's not up ahead when we, we are accepted. It is so. In Jesus, we are accepted. And therefore, there's no, we, we take the bold step without timidity, without cowardice, without cowering. We take the bold step and say then, thanks be to God. And we give thanks to God and we say it out loud. Let joy hit your lips. Take the cork out. Because if you try and think this inside, it gets like a heap of spaghetti. Put it out there. Thank God I am in Christ Jesus. Thank God 
that by his shed blood and by his resurrection, I am set free from my sin and I am carried in his ascension into the kitchen table, the very heart where the love of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit is celebrated in wild joy. And that's a step. It's quick. Has to be. Otherwise, you're back to how long do I be miserable before God can accept me? And it's foundational. Now, I could speak a long time on this and I'm not going to. Our time is gone. But it's foundational, you see, because if there's any condemnation that I accept, whether it be accusation from Satan, whether it be plain scripture that, that says what I did was wrong, or whether it is that I'm just saying I'm guilty, I'm guilty, self-condemnation. If there's any condemnation, then we do not, I mean, it's just not in us to take our place as a child of the Father. We feel unworthy, you see. It's the whole point of Romans 8 when it says there is now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. And while I hold that, you know, I'm not worthy, I'm not good enough, I'm not like so-and-so, I'm not like this one. I, oh, we, some, some are very proud of, of, of their unworthiness. They talk about it all the time. But that means then he's not really with me as he is with others. And people will almost come out and say that as almost a matter of humility. God is, I'm not good enough, I'm not worthy, I... I which means, of course, we, when we pray, we, we can't believe he's going to answer us. And so we almost take pride in saying, you pray for me, brother. You pray for me. I'm just not worthy. Do you realize all of this nonsense talk, this pious rubbish, I'm not worthy? You know, no, that's sin. That is blatant sin telling God he's a liar. For he has said he delights over you. He has said he accepts you as he accepts Jesus. He has sat you down. But you say, what about this? What about that? He sees, he sees you in his love. And in his love, the potential of that love within you is greater than all the mistake. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses from all sin and keeps on cleansing no. So, what can I say? This is the fullness of the gospel. You've heard me say it, haven't you? The word gospel. Many of you say it with me. Yeah, the good, glad, merry news that makes a man fairly leap for joy. Webster's Dictionary 611. Yeah. Um... That's what the word originally meant. The good, glad, merry news that makes a man fairly leap for joy. We have reduced it to good news. It's some good news. It's the goodest news you've ever heard. And the very definition of the word gospel demands gladness and merriness of heart. And therein we have found our refuge from every accusing dart and arrow and word of the enemy 
wherever that enemy be found. So, put up the sail of your boat. And that sail is, I begin to give thanks to God for what he has said and done in Jesus Christ. And the wind of the Holy Spirit will fill my sail with joy. And I shall speed my way into what it means to be a believer. Well, I I believe that that could change all of our lives as we meditate on it for the next week. And um, I pray that it shall be so. Go into a life of rejoicing. And now the blessing of God, who is almighty love, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, his blessing rest upon you, his blessing work in you, the righteousness, the peace, and the joy of the Holy Spirit. So I bless you, and so it is. Amen.